This is the Faith Debate, a theological roundtable gab fest, a free-for-all forum with faith community leaders wrestling over the truth. In less than one half hour, learn more about what really matters than what most others learn in a week. The Faith Debate is on the World Wide Web at WFMD.com, keyword faith. Are you ready for the clash of ideas? Are you ready for the sound of freedom? Let's get ready to rumble in this corner, weighing in with the Master of Divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary, the Faith Debate Master of Ceremonies, oh, yeah. <laughs> Troy Skinner. Thank you so much for spending part of your Sunday morning with us once again here on the Faith Debate. I am Troy Skinner, and we're picking up. This is the, the last part of a message we began last week where I was sharing thoughts about the Great Reset and what an article in the Gospel Coalition of all places had to say about it that really was uh, discouraging from a biblical Christian perspective anyway. And so I was kind of sounding the warning, putting out a clarion call, if you will. So this is the, the last part of those thoughts. If you're not sure what the Great Reset really is at this stage, well, you probably will begin to understand it better by hearing this. And if you're wondering what... Um, biblically oriented Christians should be thinking about this. This might help you figure that out as well. I encourage you to follow us online, WFMD.com, also the WFMD Facebook page, and you can follow me personally at HouseholdOfFaithInChrist.com. Uh, that's the name of the church that I pastor, and, and all of my social media links and everything pretty much can be found there. So HouseholdOfFaithInChrist.com. Anyway, picking up with part two of last week's message here on The Faith Debate. Christians will disagree on the details of a biblical vision for society. Of course we will, and that is not a bad thing. Nor are we alone in our disagreement. Secular commentators are also at loggerheads about how principles such as justice or equality should be embodied in social policies and institutions. Do you notice the, the, uh, the critical theory language in that sentence talking about... Now, the Bible talks about it, too, but in today's context, whenever somebody's talked about equality and equity or justice and social policies, particularly as it relates to institutions, institutional racism, for example, you know, your antenna should go up. Getting back to what Watkins writes. But unless we work hard to articulate, to articulate and commend our best understanding of a Christian vision for a flourishing, just, sustainable society... Two things will happen. I wonder what they are. First, we will find it hard to analyze initiatives such as the Great Reset because we will have no biblical pattern against which to judge them. What is he talking about? Scriptural teaching is exactly why we must judge the Great Reset as a great evil. Continuing with his sentence, and this will lead us to cherry pick one aspect of their agenda, such as commitment to woke social justice or endorsement by political and global elites, and take that for the whole ball game. In other words, don't judge them. The people that are advocating for the Great Reset, don't, don't judge them for their faulty foundation because, well, they mean well. They mean well. They're going to put us on a highway to hell, but hey, they're, they're, they, they mean well. They're dangerous, but you know, let's 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 not let's not be too harsh in our criticism or too or too stark in our warnings. Anyway, second, we will be forever on the back foot. Christians, he's talking about responding to the latest trends and initiatives, perhaps occasionally sprinkling them with a little Bible dust. 
rather than engaging with them on the front foot, equipped with a compelling and fresh biblical vision for society that can, in the words of John Milbank, out-narrate its secular alternatives. It's interesting here, he swaps at what he calls sprinkling it with, with a mere Bible dust when he hasn't even yet once in this article, and we're almost done, he hasn't even once quoted or even pointed to biblical scripture one time. And spoiler alert, he won't. I'm going to finish this and he won't cite one verse. He won't allude to one passage. He won't articulate any biblical concept from the pages of our Bibles. Not one time. So he's going to criticize others for sprinkling with Bible dust. He doesn't even do that much. And his final point, so how should Christians respond? Enough caveats and grand principles. Let's get down to it. How do I think Christians should respond to the Great Reset? Here we go. Separate the message from the messenger. No. No. Knowing the messenger helps one to understand the message. He is flat wrong. The World Economic Forum has some strange, naive, and alarming ideas. Yeah. That doesn't of itself mean this particular proposal or the aims it contains is worthless. Yeah, you know what it means? It's worse than worthless. That's what it means. It's anti-God. I gotta get calmed down here. Take the issues one by one and pass them through a biblical lens. There are three prominent pillars of the Great Reset. Justice, sustainability, and digitalization. Let me offer just one thought in relation to each, okay? There's like three more paragraphs, something like that, so we'll be done shortly. <clears throat> what uh, distinguishes a biblical concern for justice? One major element is a concern for the poor. I'm sorry, I'm sounding mean-spirited, right? I'm sounding mean-spirited. That's not what biblical justice is. Biblical justice is not concern for the poor. That is wrong. He's, he's wrong again. He's repeatedly wrong. Justice in the Bible is about equality before the law. Having even scales. Treating people with justice means treating them properly and appropriately before the law. Talking about the poor, and, you know, and he goes on for for the widows and orphans who are disenfranchised and have no power, no status, no voice. Oh, the oppressed oppressor dynamic that social justice brings into. That's not the biblical view. That's not justice. We are to care about widows and orphans and the disenfranchised, those who have no power and status and no voice. We are to care. And you know what that's called? It's not called biblical justice. It's called mercy. It's called generosity. It's called compassion. It is not called justice, and the Gospel Coalition should know better. They do know better. So why are they publishing this crap? The corporate and capitalist focus of the Great Reset, along with its privileging of certain minorities at the expense of others, and then parenthetically he says, I can find no mention of religious minorities of any creed, for example, 
relatively underemphasizes these unglamorous populations. The Christians should be vigorous in advocating for their inclusion and flourishing. He says that we should be vigorous in advocating for the inclusion and flourishing of these unglamorous populations, meaning these oppressed groups, because that's what this is all about, the social justice, right? You've got intersectionality. We've talked about that here in our discussions. You know, you've got the, the lesbian group. you got the female group. you got the uh, gender-confused group. you got the, the undereducated group. And if somebody has all four of those things going for them, they're a, 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 a poor, gender-confused female lesbian, well, then they got four intersections, and they're really uh, uh, an unglamorous population to use his words and so we should we should advocate for representing and, and and talking about those specific groups and i'm saying that's not what the bible teaches that's what we've been talking about for months now here on our on our video cast we don't want to add more divisions we don't want to 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 prop up the per, the heretical idea of this intersectionality that we're trapped in it that we're trapped in these oppressed groups we do not want to prop that up Sustainability, the desire to preserve the world in order that we may continue to live on it does not uh, preserve the world in order that we may continue to live on it does not challenge the shareholder capitalist paradigm of maximizing benefit that the Great Reset claims to oppose. It just pushes out its borders a little. A deeper transformation is needed, one that decenters human beings. I'm not making this up. And makes us accountable to a tribunal not of our own devising. This sort of radical transformation is achieved by the shift from the paradigm of sustainability to the Christian idea of stewardship, taking care of the world because it is God's, not primarily just so we can continue to live on it for a long time. Yeah, we should take care of it because it is God's, but that doesn't even capture the fullness of what the Bible teaches. We are to take care of it, yes, because it's God's, but what else do we know? God has given it to us to have dominion over. So we have responsibility there. We take care of it because it's God's. We should steward it for God, but we should steward it over it as, as rulers who have dominion over it. We do not want to decenter human beings. The human beings are the ones that have dominion over it. They're at the center. Everything up until Adam and Eve are created, the creation is good. And once Adam and Eve are created, the creation is very good. We do not want to decenter human beings. Technology. Without seeing the Antichrist around every corner... <laughs> He just made fun of you, by the way. You see Antichrist behind every corner. Well, around every corner, then there's something wrong with that. He just made fun of you. But you're in good company because he just made fun of the Apostle John, too. <laughs> a biblical anthropology strikes a note of caution and amid the utopian technological dreams of the Great Reset. Human beings are gloriously made in the image of a loving and wise creator. Oh, hey, see, they know better. But you and I are also fallen and capable of great evil and self-deception. Yes, this is true. This is why the separation of powers is by and large a good principle. Agreed. 
It prevents too much control being concentrated in any one person or body. Any increased digitalization should build this principle of dispersing power into its DNA and resist control by a small number of multinational corporations, governments, or individuals. <laughs> Is this the same author? Did somebody else write that paragraph? Because that's a radical downshift. Like, he just stripped his gears on that one. Last thoughts. In a few years' time, the Great Reset brand will most likely become a curiosity for the history books. Boy, I hope so. But the questions of how to build a just, sustainable, and digitally fair society, what does that even mean? What is a digitally fair society? Uh, in order to do that, for all people, uh, let's see, Oh, so the, the curiosity of the Great Reset will go away, but the, uh, the questions about these sorts of things, doing this for people, that those questions will not go away. So let's play the long game and engage with those issues, nudging the public debate. <laughs> nudging. You'll notice, increasingly, the authors of the Gospel Coalition and others that are big evangelical leaders, they use words like this, nudging. It's always so limp-wristed, you know? How about we boldly enter the battle of the, of the spiritual warfare and we tell the so-called elites that they're not God. And we know for a fact they're not God because Yahweh is God. How about that? How about boldly speaking the truth instead of gently nudging things all the time? Anyway... Uh, nudging the public debate where possible towards a biblical understanding of what's at stake in rewriting the social contract. We are not called to nudge the discussion. We are called to proclaim and placard and pronounce and defend the truth of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So he wraps up here with a few thoughts that almost sound like he's beginning to argue against the Great Reset when everything before that was giving them all the rope they could possibly want. So what is that? I mean, is he arguing for or against it? You know, you might say, oops, they lose his mind like a joke. Did somebody else write the last paragraph and a half? Well, I, 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 I wonder, doing something like this does allow him and others who do this sort of uh, word salad trickery, it allows them to continue to lay claim to their conservative bona fides. Oh, no, no, you misunderstood me. Didn't you read the last paragraph where I kind of spoke against it? Yeah, I, I, I put out their 1,500-word uh, article, and the last 200 words were, were against it. The first 1,500 were giving it a wide berth and saying it's okay and you shouldn't be critical. But at the end, I, I said a few things, so I'm still concerned. You can still trust me. I'm telling you, we should be nervous about this and what it's doing in our church. we got to wake up. We've got to wake up. We've got to push back. And I'm not saying you can't go to the Gospel Coalition and read their articles because a lot of their stuff is good, particularly the stuff that's been up there for a long time. <laughs> you know, before they have drifted so far into the woke world. They've been woke, increasingly woke for a while. Um, but not all of it is. And not all the authors are. So just a word of caution. That's, I know that that's... A lot to be said, and I, uh, maybe I rambled on a little longer. Than I, should, I don't know, but we got to wake up. I want to say, you know, I think what's going on here is 
to give the people who are writing like this for the Gospel Coalition, to give them some benefit of the doubt, I think they truly are meaning well, but I think they've lost their way. And the reason I say that is I think their motivation, based on conversations I've had outside of this context and things I've read and, and online interactions I've had, I think what's going on is they want they want to help Christians. They want to help you if you're a Christian, uh, you know, if you're a follower of Christ. They want to help me. They want to help you know Angela and Dina. They want they want to help us to present our biblical views in a way that is respectable before the world, because people are afraid of being dismissed as as rubes, as the great unwashed, you know, the, the great deplorables who. You know, are clinging to God, guns, and their Bible, right? Yeah. And so we don't want to come across that way. So we want to be respectable. And well, what's respectable these days is academia. And these guys are smart guys. They have multiple degrees, and they, they cut their teeth in academic circles. And so they want to be respectable themselves, and they want to help others be respectful. So they want to find this way to navigate. But there are people who are not Christians that are somewhat traditional in their views, which is one way, and you've got people who are not believers and followers of Christ who are therefore progressive and liberal and Marxist in their way, and they're saying, well, there's a third way. No, no, there's God's way, and there's no other way that's right. And so Christians are called to proclaim the truth, because to be honest, there's more than two ways. There's like seven billion people on this planet. That means there's seven billion ways. But there's only one way that matters. It's God's way. We need to dive in to figure out what that is and then proudly, boldly, accurately put that out there. And people want to say, well, you're just a rube. They're not criticizing you. They're criticizing Christ. And we got to be okay with that and try to help them. Well, okay, you want to be critical of Christ, but let me tell you why I think this. I, I think they're meaning well, but I think syncretism... They're wanting to be liked by the world, and they've allowed syncretism to infect the way that they're teaching other believers. And of seminaries, we only have and need seminaries because the church has done such a horrible job of discipling believers over the years. And so now, here we are, we have a vacuum of leadership. We don't have enough people who are equipped for leadership because they haven't been properly discipled growing up and coming up through the church. And so they have to go to the, to go to seminary to learn the Bible. So that's the only reason they even need it. So, but study of the, of the scriptures and, and, and standing on the shoulders of the giants of the faith who came before us and learning from them, that's all important stuff. But, you, but you're absolutely right. You don't need that to recognize the truth from the lie. But I'll use an, uh, an analogy. I'm in the radio business. My wife is too. We're radio professionals. What separates us from Angela, who's not a radio professional? She's a professional in other regards, but she's not a radio professional. She's a radio listener. You might be a radio listener. You listen to a good radio station, and you're like, yeah, I like that radio station. It's a good radio station. You listen to a bad radio station, you're like, ooh, I don't like that radio station. That's not a very good radio station. So you as a radio listener with some familiarity to radio, you recognize good and bad, just like the radio professionals recognize good and bad. But we're well, my wife and I are well studied in the radio business. And so we not only recognize what's good and bad, but we can tell you why. Say, that's a really good radio station. And they're going to say, yeah, I think so too, but why do you say so? And I could give them a list of reasons. 
or that's a bad radio station. I don't like that station either, but why do you say so? I can give them a list of reasons. They won't really be able to give me a list of reasons other than, well, I just don't like it, or they might stumble upon the truth a little bit, like, well, I don't like the way they do that. Actually, that's a pretty perceptive idea. You're right. That's something bad radio stations do. Well, same with the scripture. When you're studying the scripture, you're spending time in the word, you're spending time reading, again, those giants in the faith before us who, you know, brilliant and faithful men who bravely stood for the truth that often at great cost to their, to their fortunes and their lives to advocate for the truth. There's so much there. So it, it, it equips us to do more than just like this article by, uh, by Chris Watkin. There's something wrong about it. That's not the Bible. There's, uh, my spirit's unsettled. That's just not true. I don't trust it. The Holy Spirit will do that, mm -hmm. but could you then explain what exactly is wrong? What's missing? What's being said that's not, not biblically accurate? Studying scripture will help you do that. Or you're talking to your friends and you, and you say, I'm a believer in Christ because you can tell the anecdotal stories about how you know uh, being a follower of Christ has changed your life. But they start pressing you for answers to defend the faith. Um, you're more prepared, better able to give a defense of the faith mm -hmm. and to maybe be used by God to lead others to Christ because you're familiar with the arguments. That's a big part of what seminaries focus on. It's not, I was unaware of that. When I entered seminary, I didn't realize how true this would be. Probably a third of the classes I took were studying the scriptures. Uh, another third were, uh, were, were practical matters about the church, how to lead a church, how to minister to people, how to be a pastor, how to, you know, how to, how to be a good communicator, whatever, those sorts of things. And then, I mean, these third, third, third is, I'm guessing the percentages. And the remaining third is studying all of the lies out there and the various forms they take so that you recognize them when you see them and you know how to address them. So there were classes we learned about, this is what Islam teaches. This is what, you know, the Latter-day Saints teach. This is what Buddhism's all about. This is so that, this is what New Ageism is. So that you're not being caught completely flat-footed every single time you run into that. You're like a different ethnic background. So I agree with that. And I want fairness and I want equality in those sorts of things. I, 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 so there's a lot there, but you got to understand how important it is to define the terms. So when somebody talks, you talk to somebody who is part of a Christian cult and they'll talk about Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I believe in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And you got to ask them, okay, so who is your Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. When you say Jesus Christ, who do you mean? Mm -hmm going to define those terms. Mm -hmm. You talk to a Muslim, they believe in God. Mm -hmm. They believe Jesus was a prophet. Let's define those terms. Okay, when you say God, what do you mean? Who do you mean? Mm -hmm. You've got to define those terms. When you say justice, how are you defining that? Mm -hmm. You talk about equality, mm -hmm. how are you defining that? Yeah. You've got to define terms. and You've got to know what the biblical definitions are yes. so you're equipped to deal with the ones that aren't biblical and if you get involved in a discussion with somebody and they're maybe they're sharper in their game than they are because we're immersed in this it's easier for them to be sharp you got to work to dive into the scriptures and figure it out you can accidentally pick up wokeism it's all around you you can start talking the language and know what they're talking about pretty easily if you're paying any attention at all to the world around you you got to work at diving into the scriptures to, 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 to defend your point of view articulately. So if you get involved in these discussions and you're a little flat-footed, it's okay to say, you know, I'm not sure I can agree with you, but I'm going to have to think about that and get back to you. And then go read the Bible. <laughs> go talk to your pastor. You know, message me if you want, whatever. 
And we can get, you know, because we're the body of Christ, we can work together. We can be the hands and the feet collectively together. You don't have to do it all yourself. But you got to engage in the battle. It is a battle. So, I got a little bit animated today. I'm not sure if that was good or bad. If it was bad, I apologize. If it was good, you're welcome. I don't know. <laughs> be critical of me calling him out publicly. I got to say, if it's a private offense, you deal with it privately. If we go to the same church, I can talk to him. But this is published on a huge platform for all the world to see. It's a public problem that needs to be addressed publicly. So I'm not meaning to call him out in a in a bad way. I'm trying to call out the ideas in a bad way because ideas are bad. So there's no personal attack meant on the author uh, of the article, uh, at least not necessarily. It wasn't intended that way. And that's going to be the wrap-up of this week's show. Thanks so much for listening to The Faith Debate here on 930 WFMD. You can follow us online, WFMD.com. You also can listen to us not just on AM 930, but on the FM 299.9 HD2. And you can follow us, of course, on social media, WFMD's Facebook page. And if you want to follow me more directly, personally, you can do that most easily probably by going to Household of Faith in Christ. Dot com. There you can find links to all my various social media that I'm involved with and, and, uh, and links to messages and things I'm involved with and, and, and whatever. That's the name of the church that I pastor, and so all my stuff is there, householdoffaithinchrist.com. Um, we'll be back again next week, and we're going to be talking. It's going to be a bit of a potpourri next week, but most of our time will be spent talking about, <laughs> I know it's the middle of summer, Advent season. Some of the things in our traditions, are they good traditions, bad traditions, biblical traditions? Where'd they come from? Why do we do what we do during the Advent season? A lot of stores and stuff will do like Christmas sales in the summer. We're doing our own version of that on the Faith Debate. So I hope you'll join us next week for that uh, 167 and a half hours from right about now. Till then, God bless.